We are continuing our time through the book of Romans. Uh, we've been on this journey for quite some time, and just to encourage you, we will be in Romans for quite a bit more time. So hope you're encouraged by that, but we will be finishing up Romans chapter 11 this morning, and uh, I must say that I, I've been really excited about this last little part here in Romans chapter 11. I'll get to more of that later. Um, but one of the things that I, I want us to really start processing and to have a little bit of a backdrop for our message this morning is, how do you praise God? How do you praise God? How do you give glory to God? I found myself yesterday, I was, uh, a lot of you know I've been doing the single dad thing for a few weeks now as Diana's been gone at uh, some of her military training out of state. And uh, my daughter is in band, and she's also in drumline, and, and um, uh, I won't embarrass her too much, even though she stepped out to help with some things for children's ministry. But with all that being said, um, she's had a busy schedule, and so I have my schedule with the three kids and their schedule, and they have music lessons, and they have this, and they have that, and they have school things. A lot of different things going on, and this weekend was particularly interesting. Um, my daughter had a, a football game, and they were doing a performance there, but I took the, the little ones with uh, a couple of my little nephews. I took them out to the monster truck rally uh, at the fairgrounds on Friday night, and that was they had a blast doing that. Uh, we had a good time. Um, and then my older daughter, Ava, got done later on Friday night, picked her up after she was done at the football game for her band stuff, and then the next morning she had to be up at 6 a.m. because she was going up to Sacramento for a, a band review and a drumline competition. And so took her to the school and dropped her off early in the morning. I came back home and went back to sleep because uh, I could get to Sacramento much faster than a bus can, and then their performance time slot wasn't until around 1 o'clock. And I was like, I'll have plenty of time. I'll get up there around 12, maybe grab a bite to eat, and then... Uh, um, go go get ready for their their path that they're going to be on for their review and their uh, competition drumline competition afterwards. So uh, I get on the road and it's like I got plenty of time um, with an hour to spare. And before I get to Livingston, traffic stopped, absolutely stopped. I sat on the 99, not moving for a half an hour, um, trying to find another way around. Couldn't do it. What I didn't know is um, there was a semi-truck that had flipped over and then across all lanes of the 99. And so they were, they were trying to get that figured out as quickly as they could. Um, when I finally started moving, they directed us around, and they actually had two tow uh, four tow trucks in total, two with cranes, and they were trying to reflip this semi back over, and they were getting everybody off at the nearest exit and then putting them back on. Um, to get around that section. And so um, with that being said, I, I wasn't sure if I was going to make it in time because we were pretty much blocked all the way back up before Livingston. And uh, if you guys know where Foster Farms is, it was happened right around that time. So I was about two miles from Foster Farms through that. Then traffic was still beyond that quite a bit. And uh, I was like, I don't know if I'm going to make it. I don't really know if I'm going to uh, get there in time, even with an hour to spare. And so I was on the phone, making phone calls, text messaging. Um, and, uh, you know, I was just praying. I was like, Lord, let me get through this. Let me get up there. 
you know, so I can get there in time for her competition. Finally made it through, went. Uh, as I made my way up there, I had to do a little repenting. Um, you know, luckily, I, I was going with flow of traffic. That was kind of my, my excuse or my scapegoat, so to speak. Uh, everyone else seemed to be late for something as well. Um, and so I made pretty good time, and uh, we were going to the, I was going to the Elk Grove area to school out there. Finally got out there. I saw everything shut down for the band review. Bands are already going through. I'm like, man, their time slot's coming up in like five minutes. I didn't know where to park because it's school. Everything's blocked off. Roads are blocked off. So I just started following all these cars, and they were trying to figure out the same thing I was. And so um, I finally made it to the section. And to the left, I can see the band, um, all the different band groups going, and I saw her. It's like, there they are. And then as I turn um, to go find a parking spot in a nearby neighborhood, I hear, up next, Merced, El Capitan band. I'm like, oh, that's her band. So I park about a block away. I'm like, I hope I don't get towed. I'm parking in front of someone's house. Jump out, and I sprint all the way to her thing. And as soon as I get there, they start going. And I'm like, okay, record. I'm like, I've been here all along. <laughs> and um, so anyways, I, I go through that. They go do their thing. Um, they're actually marching band for El Cap actually got first place. Um, so that was awesome. Um, did the dad thing, embarrassed her in front of her band friends and uh, did all that. Got in the car, um, got a little something to eat. And then on the way back, and I'm getting to the point, so on the way back, I, I really processed a few things. It's like, okay, thank you, Lord, but I felt like, okay, I need to, it's more than just thanking God, you know, and I put on some praise music, and I was just praising God and thanking him for allowing me to get there, because I literally, on the, in the nick of time, right? And so, you guys know me, I'm not very mystical and you know, all these this and that, and I, and I understand that, and, but um, how do you praise God? And that really reminded me of like, okay, you know, I've been excited about this passage that we're going to dive into this morning, and just how exciting it is, and how much glory it gives to God, and how it's like, man, it's, it, there should be excitement when we praise God. There should be excitement when we give glory to God, and it really... Um, convicted me to a certain extent. Yeah, we're not hooting, hollering, and swinging from the rafters and stuff like that, you know, in church, and, and rightfully so, but at the same time, understand, it's like, wow, in my personal worship to God and praise to God, um, why am I so stoic? Why am I so um, dull or, or just these different things that to where it's like, man, why can't I really just praise God and give Him the glory when it's so obvious that it's because of him, I have what I have, or I've received what I've received, or I've been, been covered in his grace and mercy in ways that I, I know I don't deserve. And it's just amazing to me on how much, and me personally, and I know we're all different, right? This may be challenging to you, it may not. But for me, it was challenging to me and just being like, man, why don't I give God the glory more? More. And so it's interesting because one of the things I, I do beyond embarrassing my children, when I'm driving, 
I sing. I want the people driving next to me to be like, what is he listening to, right? I want them to look like, I, I don't care. When I took the, uh, drove the, the moving truck for Pastor Stephen a few weeks ago, I was rocking out. I was listening to all kinds of stuff. That was two purposes. One, to keep myself alert and awake, and two, was just to have fun. But also just, why can't we worship God in that way? I think we have a little bit too much of self-consciousness about what other people may think. You know, and I always say this, it's like, yeah, we should be different than the world. The world should look like, you're weird, right? But rightfully so. We're weird because they don't understand Jesus. That's why we're weird. Now, if we're weird to other Christians, then that might be a different thing. You're like, okay, let's have that discussion, right? But we should live a life in such a way to where, yeah, you don't understand why I live this way. You don't understand why I glorify God, why I praise God this way, because you don't understand God. But we do. As believers, that's really where I want to challenge you with this question. How do you praise God? How do you give glory to God? Not to take things out of context or to create some interesting way to get attention or whatnot. If anything, this is a lot of just personal praise time or prayer time or giving God glory time, right? On your own, by yourself. Sometimes that's just what we need. So our, through our time together this morning, may, that, may those two questions weigh on you. Be the backdrop for our time together this morning and really begin to, to ask yourselves those questions and be transparent. How do I praise God? Well, this is how I praise God. Okay, is that reflective in the scriptures? How do you give glory to God? Well, you know, I don't really know how to give glory to God. Well, let's see what the scriptures say. Let's not be subdued by the world in our attempt to worship our creator and savior. But may we worship and praise God in a way that honors him. So before I go any further, let us pray, and then we'll get into our review and text this morning. Lord God, thank you for all that you've given us. May our time together this morning honor you and no one else. Be of you and no one else. Speak to us through your word and the Holy Spirit as you lead and guide and convict us, ultimately to be more like your son, Jesus Christ. Bless us during our time, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we already looked at for the past few chapters, and Paul really dealing with the Israelites, and their, yes, you're chosen, God's chosen, but you know what? You messed up the breaking of the branches from the olive tree, and then the grafting in of the Gentiles and the God. That's a symbolism of the gospel coming to the Gentiles, but Paul explaining why that happened, but also understanding, look, this is a stumbling. This is not a kicking out of. This is so you understand, look, you messed up, but I'm going to bring you back, and when I bring you back, it's going to be an understanding of the Lord Jesus Christ, and then understanding for the Gentiles, hey, Gentiles, yeah, you're in, but don't snub your nose. Don't look down upon who? The Israelites. 
Don't say, oh, it's our turn now. You are mean to us, so that, you know, get out of the way. It's our turn. It's not your turn. But it's understanding. It's like, look, don't end up like the Israelites with your pride and arrogance. Don't do that. Remember where you came from. And Paul really outlining for us over and over again through this theological, I guess, kind of walk through systematically of the Israelites and their background and understanding and where they are now and why they are there now and then why the Gentiles are where they are now and how that all plays a role into God's ultimate plan. And then we enter into our text this morning. Romans chapter 11, verses 33 through 36. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how unscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Now, this is what we see or what we know or what um, commonly is referred to as a doxology. Okay, I'm going to give you an understanding of that in a moment, but we're going to dive right into verse 33. I'll give you, I'll read it again so we have it fresher on our minds, and then we'll start getting into it, and then I will explain what a doxology is, because some of us, we might not know, or we might think we know, um, we're not sure of what a doxology truly is. Let's get back to verse 33 of Romans 11. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. I don't know about your translation, but mine in the ESV explanation points at the end of each of those. It's for a reason. It's for a purpose. It's one of the things that I always find interesting is when people read God's word and they don't pay attention to the punctuation. It's key. It is part of the context. It's translated in such a way to try to be as authentic as possible to the original scriptures, writings. This is exclaimed, this is sh- uh, almost shouted out, a, a voice fluctuation that's lifted up. We need to pay attention to these things because this is Paul praising God. Now, this concluding doxology looks back over the entire epistle and the divine wonders that have unfolded. Now, what is a doxology? A doxology is a liturgical expression, right, or a praise or a hymn, um, basically to God, right? Now, it's from the Greek doxalogos, okay, doxa being glory, splendor, logos being word, Okay, and that's where we get the word doxology. This is typically used specifically in Paul's writings. It's, it's used throughout Scripture, and we can see that, but Paul uses it a lot at the end when he's concluding a main like topic or subject. He's like, praise God. Paul's great at that. He's great at sandwiching things together where in the beginning he's praising God, but he's praising the people he's writing the letter to as he praises God. Then he goes through what he needs to teach him, what he needs to correct in them, and how he needs to shepherd and direct them. And at the end, he praises God. This is what that is. This is that praise to God. Ultimately, for them to understand and see the importance of this. 
Now, this isn't con- a conclusion of Romans altogether. This is just a section, um, uh, uh, kind of a wrapping up of a, of a section or a subject, so to speak, a theological breakdown that Paul's doing here within the epistle, right, to the Romans. Because there's a few chapters left. Some amazing chapters left. Some great, great scriptures that some of us know very, very well. And we'll be getting into that possibly next week. So Paul has expounded the marvelous plan of the salvation by which a just God can save ungodly sinners and still be just in doing so. There were constantly, what, the naysayers, the Jewish naysayers constantly trying to contradict him, constantly trying to find loopholes, constantly, constantly saying things, right, that they had no uh, purpose or no true heart and really trying to understand the gospel, and they were just trying to like, oh, well, then we're nobody, right, Paul? Thing is, is that wasn't the case at all. He's trying to fully understand that and truly help them embrace the fact, even though at points and at times, Paul is sarcastic to them in certain ways. Now, Paul has shown how Christ's work brought more glory to God, more blessings to men than Adam's original sin. He's trying to look in Christ. Look at all this. Look at what we've done. Look at the plan. This is all purposeful. This is all meant. This is all ordained. This is my providence. Don't get stuck on this. What Christ did wipes all of that out. He continues to explain to us how grace produces holy living in a way that the law could never do. We also see God's unbreakable chain of his purpose from salvation to glorification. Paul cemented the doctrine of sovereign election and has traced basically showed us the trace of the justice and harmony of his dealings with Israel and the bringing in and the grafting in of the Gentiles. And now nothing could be more appropriate than this doxology, this bursting into praise and worship by Paul. Now, this is where it, it, it excites me, right? Now, you guys know I get excited a lot about Scripture, um, and some more than others, and this is one of those more than others. Because this really, like, it, 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 in a sense, it kind of gets the juices flowing, right? The spiritual juices flowing. And you can't, I mean, I don't know about you, but for me, I can't help but read this and like, yes, yes, you know, yes. Like rooting for my favorite sports team, and they're, they're winning, and it goes like, yeah, let's go, let's go, let's go. And this is how it should press up within you. to praise and worship God. So let's get in more to the text at hand, verse 33. Oh, the wisdom. We're going to go through the characteristics, right? The deity of God and these different things. Paul gets a little bit of review, but then he comes in and he's like hitting this. He's like, man, did you guys miss this? I hope you did it. And he worships God. And he doesn't just flippantly worship God. He does it in a way that is still teaching the people, still proclaiming who he is. Oh, the riches of God. He is rich in mercy and love. He is rich in grace and faithfulness. He is rich in power and goodness. Oh, the riches of God. 
Oh, the wisdom of God. He is infinite, unsearchable. He is incomparable and invincible. Oh, the wisdom of God. Oh, the knowledge of God. He is omniscient. He knows everything absolutely. All events, all occurrences, all past, present, and future. Oh, the knowledge of God. And his decisions are unsearchable. They are too deep for our finite minds to comprehend. Paul deals with this a little bit here. It's actually a dealing with, it's a praise. This is a praise. This is a worship. This is a a shouting from the mountaintops. I don't care who's listening, who's looking. Right? Communication to God. Glory to God. Lot of, and I'm gonna, I don't want to jump ahead to what I'm going to get to here in a moment, but we cannot ultimately, ultimately comprehend all that God not only has to offer, but has offered to each and every one of us. The way God has put it all together, his creation, the history, the redemption, and providence, and beyond us is so, is so, so beyond us. It's interesting, I, 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 uh, I had uh, a meeting with a pastor, and this pastor, he's like 30 years older than me, he's written books, all these different things, and we had a disagreement on creation. And uh, some of you may know young earth, old earth, different things, and he had a very old earth kind of kind of almost like chaotic theory where, you know, God created and left it to its, its own being, so to speak. And I was like, I, I don't believe that. The scriptures don't support that. It's a, it's a young earth. We can look at Yom and we can look at the different aspects of Genesis and these different things. He's like, but he goes, it's, it's hard for me to believe that. And I go, why is that? It's like, well, think of the stars. Think of how long it, it takes for the stars' lights to travel to earth all these years, but we see stars, you know, in the scriptures so early on. I was like, I, I, that science, science tells me that it's much older. And so then I told him, I go, when God created the trees, if you cut one down, how many rings would that tree have? Well, I don't know. I go, we, we can tell how old a tree is by counting the rings. If a tree is you know, 100 feet tall, and we cut it down, and how many rings do you think it would have? And I was like, let me ask you this. When Adam was created, was he a baby? Was he an infant? God can speak things into existence and give them age. God can create trees, and they may be their creation here on earth from the time of their existence, maybe one day, but have 500 rings. Same thing with Adam. He can create man, but that doesn't mean he's born from the womb and from God's creation. See, the thing is, as we continue to, to, to think of these things, who are we, right? Who are we apart from the scriptures that we have? We're going to get to more of that in a minute. But before I go any further, let's turn to 136. Now, this is going to be a little, a little lengthy on verse 136 of Psalm. I'm sorry, I didn't give you the book. Psalms 136. But there's, uh, and I've taught you guys this before, there's 
good repetition and bad repetition, right? Things that are repeated over and over. This is a good one, okay? It's going to be repeated over and over. Why? Just like I've always say, hey, Pastor Raph, you taught that last week. Great. Are you living it out? No? Okay, let's do, let's do it again. Okay? Psalm 136. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. So that give thanks to the Lord there at the beginning of verse 1, okay? It's going to say it again, but then it's going to stop saying that. It's with the idea that you're going to continue to have that in your mindset as you read through the rest of Psalm 136. Give thanks to God of gods for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who by understanding made the heavens for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who spread out the earth above the waters for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who made the great lights for his steadfast love endures forever. The sun to rule over the day for his steadfast love endures forever. The moon and stars to rule over the nights for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt for his steadfast love endures forever. And brought Israel out from among them for his steadfast love endures forever. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea in two for his steadfast love endures forever. And made Israel pass through the midst of it. For his steadfast love endures forever. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea. For his steadfast love endures forever. To him who led his people through the wilderness. For his steadfast love endures forever. To him who struck down great kings. For his steadfast love endures forever. And killed mighty kings. For his steadfast love endures forever. Sahan, king of the Amorites, for his steadfast love endures forever. And Og, king of Bashan, for his steadfast love endures forever. And gave their land as a heritage, for his steadfast love endures forever. A heritage to Israel, his servant, for his steadfast love endures forever. It is he who remembered us in our low estates. For his steadfast love endures forever and rescued us from our foes for his steadfast love endures forever. He who gives food to all flesh for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven for his steadfast love endures forever. We must remind ourselves, we must be reminded that God's love endures forever. Now, it's not a bunch of rainbows, unicorns, and butterflies running around here saying God's love, God's love endures, God's love. There's no enduring in that. That's not even part of Scripture. It's not even part of what we see as God's love. That's what the world wants to push upon us and tell us. We see, and if we go through all these 
giving thanks to God and then God destroying kings and taking their land away and giving it an inheritance, all these things. In Israel, at low points, constantly it's what? God's love endures forever. He is constant, constant. Thing is, is that even though that story I told you um, in the beginning from when I went to watch my daughter's band uh, competition, what if I didn't make it? What would have my attitude been? Would I still have been praising God? Ah, now we're getting convicting, right? Now it's something a little more, you know, oh, things don't go my way. Am I going to praise God? Absolutely. That's what this, this psalm is trying to teach us. Look, God's in control. God's in control. He's infinite. We are finite. Well, God, I want it. No, 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 no. God's in control. Paul's going to deal with that here in the next two verses. What are we to remember? God's steadfast love endures forever. We must remind ourselves of that. Why? Because as we embrace that, regardless of circumstance at the surface, we begin to what? Praise and give glory to God regardless of circumstance. Ah, you want to know an area where Pastor Raph struggles? Right there. Struggling with allowing circumstance to dictate, right? Whether I'm praising God or I'm not. Let's move on, right? Verse 34. This is a quote from Isaiah 40. We'll get to that in a moment. These next two verses We've covered in the past quite a bit, so I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on verse 34 and 35, but enough to give you some of that, that meat that Paul's giving to us based on what he just gave us in verse 33 and how he's going to sum it up in verse 36. Verse 34 of chapter 11. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor? Ah, sound familiar? No created being can know the mind of God fully. Fully. No created being can know the mind of God. We have been through this with Paul before, not that many weeks ago here in Romans. We only know what he has chosen to reveal to us through his inerrant word, the scriptures. And we still struggle. And we still struggle with that. Why? Because we want to know. Because we want to know. You want a, a quick red flag of a false preacher? Someone who comes, it's like, I was in prayer and I entered into the glory realm and I walked with God and he spoke to me. And I'm like, okay, what did he say? What did he say, right? Why? What is our filter? The Bible. This is how we have a biblical worldview. We view the world through God's word. We must. It's amazing what people will do and people will say just to get masses to follow them or to give to them or whatever it may be. But we need to understand this one thing. We will never fully understand the mind of God. Even in glory, we will have... It, it's a whole nother level, but even then, to fully, wait, it, we're not God. 
I don't know if that's encouraging to you. It's a little encouraging to me. But we need to understand, we need to not struggle with this so much. Because there's some people that struggle with this. They're like, there's got to be more. There's got to be more. And there's got to be more. They're looking for something that's not there. We call them magician pastors. Why? Because they didn't just pull a rabbit out of the hat. They put the rabbit in there before they pulled it out. And that's what they do with the scriptures. Let me put it in there so then I can pull it out later. No. What do the scriptures reveal to us through the Holy Spirit? We don't need to put nothing in. The only thing that should be in the scriptures is our heart and our mind, right? We'll get to that in Romans 12. We must remember that no one has advised God. No one has counseled God. He does not need our counsel. Why? It's no benefit to him. It's no benefit to him. It's another one. I told God to do this and he did. No, it doesn't work that way. He doesn't say, pray and I will be in step with you. He says, no, submit yourselves. Be in step with the Spirit. We're essentially hitching up with him. We're along for the ride. But instead, we're trying to drag Jesus in the dirt behind us. Hey, come where I go. This is what I want to do. This is what I want to be. Thing is, there's no counsel, there's no, nothing advised to God, it's, it's frivolous to him, it's nothing to him, it's worthless to him. Why? Because he's God. We must not have this small God mentality. Ah, another reason why we don't truly praise him and give him glory, because we think too little of him. Who has ever counseled God? Let's turn to the quotation there that Paul references in Isaiah 40. This is not the first time um, Paul has referenced this. Isaiah chapter 40, verse Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span and closed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did, he, whom did he consult? And who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Nobody. God created all these things. We're going to go over to Job because we know that those walk hand in hand in Job 38. Um, there's going to be one I didn't put up on the board. I apologize, but I'm sure you will forgive me. Um, go uh, um, um, left in your Bibles to Job, four, Job 38, sorry. And we see in Isaiah the response like, who's counseled God? Who's 
who said this? No one has. Why do you think we can just tell God what to do? You want to destroy your prayer life? Enter prayer time just telling God what you want. That's all you do. You don't praise him. You don't glorify him. You don't repent of anything. And you're just like, God, give me this. God, give me that. You know the desires of my heart. And he's probably saying, yeah, I do. That's the problem. Who's counseled God? No one. Ah, let's get to Job. Job, and he goes through a time, and it's like, yeah, God's servant, and he's attacked. God, Job complained a lot. I don't know if you ever noticed that. Job did complain a lot. He had, and he had his friends, and he's like, hey. And they, they, they hit him up, too, and they say these things to him. And, but then God speaks. We're going to look at two different parts. First in Job uh, 38, starting in verse 1. This is God's response. One of God's responses here. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now listen, I've said this over and over again. No Oprah's, no Dr. Phil's, okay? And a lot of times we have friends that think they're an Oprah or a Dr. Phil, right? And we love calling them because they, they give us his counsel and they make us feel good, but it's so unbiblical, They have no wisdom or knowledge on the subject of spiritual matters from a true biblical truth understanding. You're struggling with something. You you call someone who's spiritually mature. Someone that you look up to spiritually, not because of who they are, but because of who they reflect, right? Jesus. That's why you called them. Hey, I'm struggling with this. Hey, I'm thinking about that. They should either be taking you to God's word or regurgitating God's word in their response. It all should point back. So who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Verse 3, dress for action like a man. He's telling Job, hey, what's your deal? What's going on here? Dress for action. Gird your loins, as the Scripture tells us. Prepare for battle. Right? Remember later on in the New Testament? Okay, I know a couple years ago the ladies went through this, right? Full armor of God, right? And I love the end after it goes through all the full armor of God and says, and pray, pray. Why? That prayer is so huge. There's nothing on the back. There's no retreating. There's no turning away. Prayer is that protection, that spiritual warfare that goes on. And he says, dress for action like a man. You're sitting here uh, lamenting and in sackcloth and all these things. It's like, look, no, 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 no. You know, they're wallowing. No, stand firm. Dress for action like a man. So first, God rebukes this false counsel, and then he says, look, Job, you should know, you should stand firm, dress like a man. Then he goes on and says, I will question you, and you make it known to me. He's like, Job, you know the right answers. 
You know what to do. Why are you... Why are you even listening to this? Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? And right away, God is reminding him of who he is and his character, his deity. Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you? Ah, God, the great sarcaster, right? A lot of you didn't know sarcasm was a spiritual gift. Who determined its measurements? Surely you? Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. And we can continue on. We know, we can continue to read. It's like, who are you in this? When I created this, when I did this, when I did this. Over and over again. You think you've been lectured by your parents and that was bad? Think of God coming down in a whirlwind and saying, ah, here you go, take this lecture. Turn just a little bit to the right, one page or two, depending on your Bible, to to Job 40, verse 6. Again, then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, dress for action like a man. We see it again. We see it again. Yeah, that's kind of a new thing now, right? This masculinity, it's a bad thing. Neutralize everything. No more men's departments. Boys, young men's departments are trying to eliminate them from stores and all this. Get rid of masculinity, right? Again, Christians, wake up. Understand what the world is trying to do to our faith. When God says, dress like a man. Act like a man. Stand firm in your faith. There's a reason why God ordained this. God not only uh, uh, has pieced this together, not only in the homes and the churches and so on and so forth, but we see it on how he interacts, right? It's for a reason. It's a purpose. I will question you and you make it known to me. And he gives again, will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me? that you may be in the right? Have you an arm like God? And can you thunder with a voice like his? Wait, wait, wait. You're telling me, you're giving me these excuses, or you're saying something contrary to what I've taught you, Job? Are you kidding me? Are you calling me a liar? And then he goes on again. We need to understand from this Isaiah 40 quote that Paul uses, going from verse 33 into verse 34, look, settle down. You don't know it all. You don't have it all figured out. God's not going to just poof, reveal everything to you. You're now no longer finite, but now you're infinite. You have all-knowing, understanding. No, it's not going to happen. Chill out. Why? 
because you're not meant to know everything. Well, I want to. Well, then work on your pride. See how that works? Worship me. Praise me. Give me glory. But I need to know this. No, no, no. It's not a this or a that. It's understanding our purpose. And through that, his love endures forever. Let's move on to verse 35. Now, this is a quote from Job 41. If you're still in in Job, you can just hold there. I'll read verse 35 for you. We're going to briefly go through 35 and get to our last verse, verse 36. And I will read verse um, Job 41, verse 11 here in a moment to you uh, also as well. Verse 5, then he goes from this, like, who has been his counselor, verse 35, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? Okay? Now, um, well, let me read Job. Go back to Job real quick. If you're there, you can look at it ahead of me if you'd like. Job 41, verse 11, and then we'll get back over to Romans. Who has first given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. Real simple. Real simple. That's why people, uh, another thing to be worried about or to have a, 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 a little red flag, a check in your spirit, Whenever a pastor or someone says, ah, I give, so then God will give me. I give to get. No, that's not how it works. You give as an act of worship. You give because you love God. You give because you understand the sacrifice that's been made for you, and you are in awe and understanding of this glory and magnification of God through what? The saving grace of Jesus Christ Why? Because you don't deserve it. And he gets into that in the last verse. We're going to jump to it in just a moment. But understanding because you don't deserve it, you glorify him. You love him. You give to him and you serve him. This is why we tithe. This is why we give. This is why we serve. Not because First Opinions Pastor Raph says so. Because God says so. God commands it. Well, I don't want to give. And God says, that's fine. I know the condition of your heart. Let's keep working on it. I don't have time to serve. That's fine. I know where you are. Let's let's just keep working on it. We're all a work in progress. When Pastor Raph got saved, it's interesting. When I share some of my past with people, they're like, wow, I never expected that from you, Pastor Raph. I was like, I wasn't born a pastor. It's not like, you know, doctor's like, well, what are you going to name your son? Pastor Raph. That's not, you know, that's not how it works. I was an ungodly, unsaved, heathen, destined for hell, apart from Christ. That's the reality of it. By God's grace and mercy, and we looked at that grace and mercy the past couple weeks, right? How do we see, how do we deal with, how we receive God's mercy and grace? Don't lose sight of that. Now here, it's like, who has given God anything? He owns everything under the heaven. God owes no one anything. 
Whatever we do for him or devote to him, it must be with that acknowledgement. It must be with that understanding. It's not because God owes us anything. It's not even because we owe God anything. It's because we love him. We want to do these things. It's not a a, 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 a scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. It's not a I do this and you're going to do that. We have a, a very worldly mentality when it comes to these things. We can't. Why do you serve God? Because I have to. Why do you serve God? Well, I guess since he sacrificed his son, I have to do these things. It might sound good with the right tone, right? Why do you serve God? Because I love him. I love him. Oh, why do you love him? Ah, because look at, look at what he's done. Look how he showed his love. I can never repay that. We need to stop thinking we got to repay God. Debt's done. That's what grace is, undeserved favor. We deserve nothing. Isn't that sweet? Like sweet nectar, as the scripture says. I don't know, when, when I fully just really was immersed into that as a believer and, and became a true understanding of the scriptures about my salvation in this part, it's like, man, it made my salvation that much sweeter. Let's move on. Verse 36, our last verse here in chapter 11. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. God is the Almighty. He is the source and sustainer of all things. All is from him. All is by him. And he is the rightful end of all things. Right? We can simply say he is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end, and rightfully so. He is the object in which everything has been created. Therefore, everything is designed to bring glory to him. Do we, this, is, this is another disconnect I believe we have in the, in the westernized Christian church today is God created everything to bring, to bring glory to him. So then I ask you a question. Does your life bring glory to God? Does your life bring glory to God? I'm not asking about all your stuff and, and these different things or other people or this or that. Just, just you. Just you. Does your life bring glory to God? Man, if I, if I reflect and I'm transparent with myself and, and I really just, you know, do an inventory, right? And some of you know this from my past teachings. Uh, I, I love doing a weekly inventory. Man, how did I do this week? Oh, man. I am not. I need to be in the Word more. I need to be in prayer more. I need to be in fellowship more. I, and I find those shortcomings. I'm like, okay, Why? Now, when I really look at this, and I, and, I, and I see and I ask myself, do I bring glory to God? And I say, I'm like, nope, not all the time. 
And that could be said, I, 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 to be honest, that could probably be said of my life each and every day. I can always bring glory to God more. Never enough. And some of us look at that, that's daunting. Is it? Wait a second, let's take a step back. Is that daunting if why you do what you do is because you love God? Is that daunting if you truly understand that God created all things ultimately to bring him glory? Is it daunting? Or is it, man, each day I can see how much more I can love God, how much more I can be used for the sole reason and purpose why I was created. See the switch? The perception is different. One is a false economy, so to speak, or, or what the world presses upon us, and the other one is what the Scriptures teach us. There's a reason why, going into chapter 12, Paul deals with this specifically. Therefore, everything is designed to bring glory to God. How do you glorify God? How do you praise Him? Turn me to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Don't worry, we're almost done. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Wow, almost done. I'm ending early. You guys might be thinking, need to take my temperature. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. Yes, talking about Jesus, but Jesus is God as well. And then we're going to see just the richness and all the meat that this passage right here in Colossians has to, to offer to us in context with what we're looking at this morning. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Why do we make it so difficult? We cannot, should not, complicate our faith. We have to fully understand that we cannot know everything. That's why I, go, I, I, I didn't touch on it. I should have. Back in verse 33, where it says um, how unsearchable in his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. And inscrutable means you cannot fathom it. You cannot know it. It's unknowable only to God. What a praise. What a way to close out this section of Paul's epistle to the Romans. 
What a wonderful display of glory to God. But again, we must ask ourselves that question. How do you praise God? How do you give glory to Him? And to be honest with yourself, it's not here to to condemn you, it's here to convict you, to counsel you, to guide you, to lead you, to feed you, to transform and renew you. Do we see it as such? We're going to close with Psalm 148. Psalm 148. You're like, wow, Pastor Ralph, a lot of songs. Yeah, absolutely. We're talking about praise to God, worshiping God, right? And 148, there was, there was, there was like an internal battle between some of my favorite psalms this week of like, which one am I going to use, right? Um, and so there were several I could have used, uh, but I, I chose this one. Psalm 148, praise the Lord, praise the Lord from the heavens, praise him in the heights, praise him all his angels, praise him all his hosts, praise him sun and moon, praise him all you shining stars, praise him you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens, let them praise the name of the Lord. For he commanded and they were created, and he established them forever and ever. He gave a decree and it shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling his word, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for his people. Praise for all his saints for the people of Israel who are near to him. Praise the Lord. Amen. Let us pray. Lord God, thank you for all that you've given us in our time together this morning. We praise you so much in everything we do. It's so amazing, Lord God. We pray all this in Jesus' name.